Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. Ever since, there was really no marker, no way to learn about it if you didn't already know. It reads, got land, give it back. This billboard is on sacred land. It's just not a large mound of dirt. There is history tied to that. The arts in St. Louis have gotten a lot of attention lately from outlets with national reach, and for good reason. STL boasts an incredible range of artistic talent and output that everyone far and wide should know about. Encounter Public, a triennial arts exhibition that's currently in its second iteration, is one of those arts phenomena or forces that's garnered attention from folks across the country. But it's also, and very intentionally, an endeavor that's invited artists from other parts of the U.S. to curate, contribute to, and animate a public arts experience that speaks to local history that has deep national significance. Here with us to discuss that, and one of the foci of Counterpublic 2023, is James McAnally, the executive and artistic director of Counterpublic. James, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So first, what is Counterpublic? <laughs> yeah, I mean, at its core, it is a public arts initiative that um, we invite um, artists to create new works specifically for St. Louis, um, both local artists and national artists, as you mentioned, um, to bring people out of kind of their homes, out of the galleries, out of the museums, and into public space uh, in kind of a, a way to experience our city in a new way. Mm-hmm. And why was it that you and your partners or collaborators decided on counterpublic, which is a real word, to name this um, arts initiative? Yeah, as you mentioned, counterpublic does have a long meaning, and it it really is um, a way to describe maybe a group of people who don't see themselves reflected in a dominant public. Uh, mm-hmm. This sort of there is no universal or general public. There are many different communities on every level, and mm-hmm. so. With this initiative, we really wanted to elevate those uh, distinct experiences um, and not have um, just kind of one way through that there are many different experiences um, Mm -hmm. on view. Yeah. Now, even before inviting artists and planning the the exhibitions, Counterpublic, it first went to the community, into the community, talked with many neighbors and locals about what is important to them. What sorts of things did you learn from that community engagement? So going in, we knew we were working for uh, 2023 along Jefferson Avenue. So that stretched um, from the Southern Riverfront um, at Sugarloaf Mound all the way up to St. Louis Avenue um, in the St. Louis Place neighborhood. And through that footprint, we talked to about a thousand people um, who lived, worked, moved through that area. And um, what we learned informed everything else. So we didn't start with artists. We didn't start with an idea of what we were going to do. Um, we instead sort of uh, waited and listened to people. And I think that, you know, that 
this, we get a lot of questions about why three years, and it's really so that we can listen, so that we can learn and respond to the needs of the time. Mm-hmm. And what was it that you heard from community members that was specific to history? I mean, what we heard was a lot about um, the ways in which kind of our history is not shared in in public spaces. So um, using a specific example, um, in Mill Creek Valley neighborhood, this is a neighborhood that was raised in the 1950s um, as a part of a, an urban renewal project um, that cleared uh, the homes of this entire neighborhood. And ever since, there was really no marker, no way to learn about it if you didn't already know. And you know, subsequently, it was really forgotten and intentionally so. And so working with other partners, Great Rivers Greenway, uh, City SC, to realize a, a permanent um, monument there is kind of one one way in which we saw that. But really understanding that, you know, our monuments tell a story of our, our history and kind of we all understand now, I think, it's quite a flawed history that's on view in public, and we really wanted to address that. Mm-hmm. And we've talked, actually, um, we've been actively remembering Mill Creek Valley, and we've spoken with Damon Davis as well as Vivian Gibson. So that connection, I think, for many of our listeners is going to be there. Now, this year's counterpublic exhibitions do deal with the complicated, often tragic histories of St. Louis and really of this country. You know, we've just spoken about the displacement of the Mill Creek community. And another is the theft of indigenous lands. Before we get to that subject, though, what do you think, James, makes art a distinctively useful vehicle for getting people to think and talk about those histories? Yeah, I mean, we really want to approach this, not just have a reflection on history, which I think St. Louis sometimes can get caught and stuck in that moment of just just looking back. And we really wanted this process to open up, what can we do now? What can actually be done to repair these histories and look look at a different future? And I think that artists are uniquely suited to do that. We come in kind of at a slant, maybe, to open up conversations, um, allow people to have a vulnerable um, dialogue around s- subjects that you know we may not have the same background or knowledge on, um, but I think art animates it in a different way and it brings us together in a different way. Mm-hmm. But it also opens up a conversation about how could we do this differently. Yeah. Now, a major long-term goal of this year's exhibition is to repatriate the entirety of Sugarloaf Mound, which is the last remaining indigenous mound in St. Louis, um, to the Osage Nation. And currently, the Osage Nation only has direct ownership of a third of this sacred site. How did counterpublic arrive at this goal of whole repatriation? I mean, for us, it was really kind of a core part of this, right? Like, what do you do with this history? So we could talk about, we could engage this mound and the larger histories of kind of dispossession of Native uh, land and uh, people here in the St. Louis region. But we really wanted to see other than bringing kind of more attention to this, what concretely can be done. And I think in this case, right, it's it's one of the most sacred sites to the Osage people. It's also an incredibly important part of this region's history, mm-hmm. right? The mound builders um, are are kind of pointing to this long, longer history of uh, St. Louis has been a, a site of importance for a long time. So really the act of returning 
um, the mound in its entirety, it's with Osage Nation's um, long-term plans. Mm-hmm. They, they would like to build an interpretive center at that site to preserve the mound um, and really open up a kind of long-term engagement here. You know, it's notable that um, right there are no state or federally recognized tribes in Missouri. And so it's incredibly important um, to sort of return this engagement, but also what it means for the Osage to really own own land here. Mm-hmm. Um, their ancestral homeland is quite important. Yeah. Now, Counterpublic did go to Osage Nation early on to seek their partnership and permission, which I think is really, it's something important to talk about in the context of art. You worked closely with Andrea Hunter, who is the Tribal Historic Preservation Office and uh, Director of the Historic Preservation Program at the Osage Nation. She told us that it was important for the Osage Nation to be involved in the planning process of counterpublic exhibitions on the sacred site and also thought it would be mutually beneficial um, as a partnership. The Osage Nation is is grateful for that opportunity to participate in in that project and we hope that the citizens of St. Louis gain a new perspective maybe on the land that is under their feet and what they see as they drive down the road that some of these mounds that are in St. Louis that remain still today such as Sugarloaf that it's just not a large mound of dirt, that there is history tied to that that is very significant to a people that lived there for hundreds of years and still have deep connections to that sacred site and what it means to our ancestors. The answer to this next question, it might seem obvious, especially after hearing from Andrea, but I think it's important to make this point clear. Why did Counterpublic prioritize direct engagement and partnership with the Osage Nation when it came to that goal of repatriating the mound? Yeah, I mean, it's important for us to be invited to work in this space. I mean, as mentioned, it's one of the most sacred sites um, to the Osage people. And so for us to engage that with artists' work, Um, but this larger effort we kind of wanted to, and this is how we worked with all of our partners, what really serves you? What benefits you? How can we use this platform to actually um, bring about change? And so understanding that the Osage purchased the summit of the mound, but there are still two homes um, occupying the mound, we wanted to bring attention to that. feel like, you know, even if you look at the Wikipedia page or the way it's been reported on, a lot of people believe that the Osage owned the whole mound. and even just that simple storytelling and opening up, right? Like there are two homes, and then we are attempting to purchase and transfer these homes yeah. as part of Counterpublic's efforts. Now, in addition to the site of Mill Creek Community, which we talked about earlier, as well as the Griot Museum of Black History, Sugarloaf Mound, which again is the last remaining indigenous mound in St. Louis, is one of those three locations that is featured 
and counterpublics exhibitions. Joining us to talk about art at Sugarloaf is Zach Khalil. He is an artist, filmmaker, and member of the New Red Order, which is an Indigenous public secret society and artist collective. The New Red Order helped curate the exhibitions for counterpublic and also contributed artwork. Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Good to be here. Yeah. Now, the New Red Order is a public secret society that aims to expand Indigenous agency through art. Tell us briefly, Zach, what your team does. Yeah, New Red Order originally um, kind of emerged in counter-distinction uh, from an actual secret society, the Improved Order of Red Men, uh, which traces its lineage back to the Sons of Liberty and the sort of foundational American act of uh, dressing up as Haudenosaunee Native Americans and dumping tea into Boston Harbor. Mm. Uh, we sort of recognize that there's been a desire for indigeneity uh, at the core of America's myths, dreams, and, and politics. Um, and in our current period of sort of existential and environmental catastrophe, um, non-Native people are looking towards indigenous epistemologies as a way to move through this new um, uh, apocalypse, one could say. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Native people do have a lot to offer non-Native people. In the past, that relationship has always been one of extraction, where we give up our knowledge and we don't get anything back. Right. Um, at the same time, New Red Order acknowledges the necessity of allowing other people into our epistemologies, of, of sharing what what we know. Um, and in order to do that, it needs to happen in a reciprocal way. Mm-hmm. Um, so New Red Order at its core is interested in in calling in others to that process. Uh, If that attraction towards indigeneity is so deeply rooted in this country that it's unavoidable, how can we rechannel it in ways that actually benefit indigenous people? Uh, And also I'd just like to say that anyone, we're an organization that's open to the public. That's why we're a public secret society. Mm -hmm. So if anyone's interested in joining, we have a hotline they could call it 1-888-NEW-RED-1, or they could go to Mm -hmm. newredorder.org to sign up as well. So it's really, it's an act of sort of resisting with something positive appropriation of things that have been taken in the past. New Red Order has played a multifaceted role with Counterpublic. You helped curate others' artwork and have also coordinated with the Osage Nation. Zach, as a Native artist, why is it important for you to involve the Osage Nation in this way and to work toward repatriation, and I've also seen rematriation, of the ground? Yeah, of course. I mean, from from the beginning, um, we're in Osage territory in St. Louis. Uh, uh, you know, there's a large pan-Indigenous, pan-Native movement in the U.S., but it's very important to be very specific about whose lands you're on mm-hmm. and to get permission to be on that land and, and to work in that space. Um, so that was very important with us from the jump. Um, I think also New Red Order has been working on a, a larger give-it-back multidisciplinary project, um, which has sort of come from a period of, of research, of, of collecting examples of non-Native people who have voluntarily returned, repatriated, rematriated land to Indigenous communities. And in, in doing research for that project, we've noticed that there's been a, a sort of exponential increase in people who are, who are doing this practice, mm-hmm. uh, starting from about 2015 around Standing Rock. Okay. Um, New Red Order's goal as a practice is uh, the non-metaphorical decolonization. Mm-hmm. Uh, we believe in the inevitability of the rematriation of all Indigenous land and life. Um, and we believe that's a process that, that's already starting, that's already happening. And so we want to highlight examples of, of people who are already doing that. 
We believe that just as um, a belief in manifest destiny made it our contemporary reality today, um, we think that the belief in the inevitability of the return of all indigenous land and life will make that a reality. Mm -hmm. And it, it took over four, 500 years to dispossess indigenous people of their land. I don't have, I hope it doesn't take as long to get it back, but we're prepared to work on, a, on an intergenerational level. Sure. And as far as the work that you're doing now, like to hear about New Red Order's art, that there's a billboard that overlooks Sugarloaf Mound that you helped design, and it reads, Got Land? Give It Back. This billboard is on sacred land. Tell us a bit about what this billboard means. For us, it's, it's a call-in. It's a call-in to everybody um, to, to participate in the realizing, realizing of Indigenous futures. Um, to, to participate in the rematuration of all indigenous land and life. Um, and there was no, no better place to do it than, than adjacent to Sugarloaf, uh, where we're attempting to make that process happen there. Um, I think, you know, we harbor no illusions that all indigenous land will be voluntarily returned, but mm -hmm. at the same time, this exponential increase in examples leads us to believe that promoting the practice, um, actively negotiating with willing, willing settlers and creating pathways and tools to navigate the complex bureaucratic maneuvers sometimes necessary to return land is a, a worthy tactic to pursue and one of many means which will be necessary to mm -hmm. achieve the rematriation of all indigenous land and life. Now, James, I want to ask you about uh, the the artists and pieces that are part of Counterpublic, uh, along with what Zach has just described. And there's some really brilliant pieces and uh, and artists. They broadly focus on indigeneity, but with specific foci, like history of buffaloes or native relationships with the Mississippi River. What was the intention behind that breadth? Yeah, I mean, there are 30 projects in total with um, within Counterpublic, and I think it's important for for that, you know, 30 works across 25 different sites. We've been talking a lot about Sugarloaf. Um, and there, you know, there is uh, a series of works, um, one by uh, mother-son duo Anita and Nikosi Fields that is a kind of uh, multi-form uh, uh, kind of uh, platforms and sound and we really wanted to open up. There are many different ways to respond um, to this land. So everything was created specifically for this exhibition for St. Louis. And we wanted the invitation to be equally open to say, like, there are there are many ways to address this. There's mm -hmm. not just one um, one perspective through. And Zach, just in this last minute, on July 14th and 15th, New Red Order is hosting a closing party for this year's exhibition. It's called Gathering. What can attendees expect? Yeah, the gathering is going to be a, an event which combines a public assembly, academic symposium, music festival, and uh, film screening. Um, it'll be artists, activists, academics sharing the lineup with rappers and noise musicians in order to present a discursive and hallucinatory trip towards collectively convoking crimes against reality and rematriating all indigenous land and life. Mm -hmm. um, so it'll be it'll be a blast. I hope you all come out. It'd be great to see you all there. And James, has Counterpublic been a success as far as you're concerned so far? Yeah, I mean, it's been incredible to see, you know, when we're out at the site, I'll leave here and I'll go get on a bus uh, with 30 people. Every time we've offered a public tour, it's been full. Um, when we're out at the sites, people are really seeming to embrace this. And I think it's an invitation in to experience the city in a new way, but also to spend time 
um, with these works and with these histories and be able to um, actually, yeah, experience this in a new way. Uh, James McAnally is executive and artistic director of Counterpublic, and Jack Khalil is a core contributor of New Red Order and curator and artist for Counterpublic. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Today's segment was produced by Aula Kuziz. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.